All right, good morning, Mosaic. Morning, friends and Mosaic family and family members here for the child dedications. Whatever brings you here this morning, good morning. How's it going today? Good. I'm so glad to hear it. Excellent. Well, my name is Jeff. Uh, if, if we haven't met, I'm, I'm just a member of the Mosaic family here. Uh, today, and if I haven't had a chance to meet you before, I hope I, I get a chance to meet you uh, sometime. Uh, and I'm so excited to get a chance to be back up here um, again. Um, we are talking and starting this journey of Advent, like Cheryl talked about a little while earlier. Uh, Advent, uh, this season of longing and waiting, and this season where we have our eyes on Jesus coming in front of us, but it's not quite here yet, an anticipation of it. And as we reflect just for a few minutes today on Advent, right here at the beginning, I want to invite you to think about something in your life, some area, you know, in in your own life or in your relationships uh, or in your work, you know, something in your life that you're longing for. Something that, that maybe just feels like it isn't quite right. It isn't how it's supposed to be. Something that you long to see changed and different or fulfilled. And maybe even particularly something that you're starting to lose hope about. Or maybe to some extent you felt yourself already losing hope that that thing, that area, that relationship can be redeemed. And I want us to reflect just a little bit on those things. I imagine we all have those, those things, those areas that we're just not sure if it's possible for it to be turned around. But we're talking today, you guys talked for a few minutes about stories with plot twists. I love Stories. A good story is my favorite thing in the world. I love reading stories. I love watching stories, listening to stories. I, uh, I love all kinds of stories. I love a big blockbuster like the Avengers, or I love just sitting in the apartment and, and watching an old episode of Seinfeld. I, I love documentaries. I, I just read a 500-page biography, if you can believe it, of Julia Child. Don't ask me why. Yeah, there we go. All right. Applause for Julia Child. All right, it's a story. Yeah, it was, it was fun. Uh, I, I, I like taking walks and listening to podcasts. I just, Cindy Conger just got me in uh, to the Revisionist History podcast uh, by Malcolm Gladwell as he tells stories uh, that are forgotten or misunderstood from history. I love that. And I, I love telling stories. I think that's really one of the things that draws me to doing things like this, uh, the opportunity to come up and tell stories. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, and, and by the way, just while we're on the subject of stories, I really do recommend, if you're a part of Mosaic Core, come to the story nights, because it's a great night for telling stories and hearing stories about, of the people around you. Uh, if you're like me and love stories, uh, come to those core story uh, nights. But I think one of the things that I love most in this wide world of stories and storytelling is a good plot twist. Anybody else love plot twists? Yeah, plot twists are, are the best thing um, in the world when they're well done, when they're well executed. Uh, you know, as I think about my favorite stories, I, I feel like so many of them have a great 
plot twists to them. I know, I know there are some people who love trying to guess plot twists when they know they're coming, but I actually, I would rather be blindsided completely uh, by a plot twist. Uh, and the thing about a really good plot twist, we all know um, that a plot twist changes the direction of a story and leads it to a different ending. But a really good, well-executed plot twist does something else, doesn't it? A really good plot twist changes the very nature of the story that you're watching. You know, think about some of the iconic plot twists, maybe some of the things that you were talking about a few minutes ago. Uh, You know, some of the really good plot twists. Luke, I am your father. Uh, or Memento, um, or the really good Hitchcock movies, or the really good M. Night Shyamalan movies uh, back when he knew how to make movies, Uh, some of the great TV shows like Lost, or Westworld, or more recently The Good Place. And those are stories you're watching them, and they're going by, and you feel like you're watching a particular story playing out in front of you. And then... In just one moment, something happens, and you realize that you're experiencing a very different story from what you thought you were. To where, like, if you were to watch it again a second time, you know, you'd see everything totally differently from how you saw it the first time. And that, to me, is one of the really magical things about Advent and the Advent story. When Advent came to humanity the world thought that it knew the story that it was in. The world thought that it knew the story that it was in. It thought that it was in a story of power and empire against empire, where it was the mightiest kings and the strongest armies that, uh, that defined the course of history and, and defined the way that the world was going. And in a way, as Advent comes every year, although some of the details and maybe some of the ways that, we, uh, that it gets expressed have changed a little bit differently, in some ways that's still the story that humanity tells about itself, is that victory goes to the strong. And this idea that, that we find value through power and domination or through significance and success And then Jesus comes into the story as this great plot twist on this story that we tell ourselves about ourselves and about our world. And he comes in and he says, that's not the story that you're living in at all. The story that you're living in is a story where you have value without any of those things. And the real story is a story of my kingdom that's coming in, my kingdom that's made of grace and peace and love and justice and joy. And as we walk into Advent over these next four weeks, we're going to tell a few stories up here. We're going to tell four stories from the Gospel of Luke. And one of the things that all of these stories have in common is that these are stories of of Jesus coming and of Advent coming to people who had other things going on, other plans that they were working on, other projects going on, other agendas, just like us. You know, maybe stress in their lives that makes us feel like there's just nothing 
our lives are so full that, that we can't let anything else in. Uh, but when we're, dis- when we're confronted by the disruption of Jesus and his kingdom as they enter into our lives, what we find and what we find in these four stories is that this disruption of our story, while on the one hand it throws all of our plans into disarray, on the other hand it offers us a glimpse of a more beautiful future. And it's only as we lean into the disruption that Jesus and his kingdom bring that we're able to start to step in to that more beautiful story and that more beautiful future that he brings. And our story today begins just a few, a short time before Jesus came. Um, It's a story about a man named Zechariah who's a member of Jesus' extended family. Zechariah was a priest in Jerusalem, and his wife, Elizabeth, was a cousin of Mary, Jesus' mother. And it begins in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you, to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now we're skipping ahead to verse 57 where the story picks up. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. 
But his mother spoke up and said, no, he's to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about these things. I love this story so much. A couple of things I, I want to tell you about this story. Uh, first, it's important to understand this, this story, this event with the angel coming and speaking to Zechariah. Chronologically, this is the very first thing to happen in the New Testament era of the Bible. It's been 400 years since God has last sent a prophet to speak to his people uh, in the Old Testament. So 400 years of divine silence have passed between what came before and this moment when God sends a message to Zechariah through the angel. And Luke also tells us something very interesting about Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, something that would have seemed like a bit of a paradox to Luke's readers. He tells us that they were righteous, but that they were childless. In their context and culture, having children was seen as the real indicator of blessing. The expectation would have been if Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous, that God would have blessed their marriage uh, fruitfully with children. And so Luke tells this story about a righteous couple that's childless. Um, And it it would have seemed strange. The presumed reaction from Luke's readers is righteous but childless. That's, that's strange. That's weird. And they were past the standard childbearing age. So for lots of reasons, Zechariah is a little bit taken aback when the angel comes and tells him that he's going to be a dad for the first time. I mean, first of all, there's an angel there, right? So that's, that's weird. That's surprising. Uh, and, and he's confronted by this angel uh, telling him, and look what the angel says to him, your prayer has been answered. So this is a moment that Zechariah has been praying for. This is something he's been longing for. But somehow in his mind, even though it's something he's prayed for and he's longed for, just like those things I asked you to reflect about earlier, this is something that in his mind he's already kind of crossed over and decided that's probably not going to happen. I'd love to be a father, but that's, that's not something that, that's, that's probably going to happen at this point. So much so that right here with an angel in front of him telling him it's going to happen, he can't really let the hope set in. And he asks, how do I know this is going to be true? How do I know for sure this is going to happen? And I think it's easy for us to stand here and say, well, that's ridiculous. How can he look an angel in the eye and ask a question like this. But think, you know, again, think about all the things from your life, inside of yourself, in your relationships, in your work, the things that you've sort of already decided, no, that's not going to happen. That's not going to change. This person is never going to change. This thing that I long to see happen, that's never going to happen. 
I'm never going to be able to change in this way that I'd like to see myself change. Because at some point, life teaches us this lesson that life is a closed system, that the way things have always been is the way that things are always going to be, and there's no changing that, that people don't really change. I'm sure if Zachariah would have more fully spoken his mind, he would have been thinking, there's, there's no way at this point in my life I'm becoming a dad. You know, Elizabeth and I, we're past that point. We're a childless couple, and that is our story. I, I'm sure that he thought there were no plot twists left for him. When we think, when we're convinced that we know our own stories, hope can become kind of a scary thing. Can it? It's a risky thing. Frankly, hope is kind of a nuisance because hope opens us up to the possibility of being disappointed. It opens us up to being let down if, if what we're hoping for doesn't come about. But it also it opens us up to this possibility of a more beautiful future, a more beautiful story than the one we're now experiencing. And so Gabriel, the angel, does something tremendously grace-filled. He looks at Zechariah, who isn't ready to accept this disruption of hope into his life, and says, okay, I'll show you what's possible. You're going to be quiet for nine months. He puts Zechariah into timeout in the corner for a while. Now, Zechariah was a man in a patriarchal society, and he was a priest in a religious community. He was somebody who was used to knowing that his voice mattered. And the angel, in essence, says to him, it's time for you to stop talking, and it's time for you to start receiving. It's time for you to start receiving this future and this grace, this future that isn't of your making, but that's of God's making. And so Zechariah is given the gift of nine months reflecting and learning to receive this future as a dad, but not just his future as a dad. There's other stuff that the angel talked about too, this idea that God is going to begin intervening in his people's history again. And finally, this baby boy is born, and all of Zechariah's friends and family are, are assembled, doing something very helpful, helpful, trying to name the baby for him. And they say, let's name him Zechariah after his father. And Zechariah takes a writing tablet and writes what in many ways is his declaration of surrender to this disruption in his life. He writes, his name is John. This baby already has a name. His name is John. Finally, Zechariah can speak Again, and if you read on a bit in Luke 1, you see that he immediately erupts in worship and joy. And joy, yes, about his baby boy, uh, but also joy that he has this, he's been given this insight into the fact that God is on the move. He's doing something. He's intervening in his people's history once again. Now, traditionally, the theme of week one of Advent is hope. It's a, it's a week for reflecting on hope. And what hope really is at its core is it's, it's, it's looking at this idea that life teaches us, 
Again, that life is a closed system, that the way that things have always been is that the way that they're always going to be, the way that they always have to be, that people and the world don't really change. It's looking at that idea that we've all internalized to some degree, and it's looking back at it and saying, no, I believe that a more beautiful future is possible. And this is something that I know for sure. This is something I believe with all of my heart. As we look at what, however you, whatever you call and however you perceive evil and darkness in the world, whether you think of it and refer to it as Satan in the kingdom of darkness, or you think of it as just the forces of injustice in the world, evil in the world wants nothing more than for people to believe that lie that the world is a closed system, that things can't really change. Those that benefit from the status quo always want people to believe there is no more beautiful future out there for us to long for and act for. And that is a lie. And and to be really honest with you, that's a lie that in a lot of ways I've believed for the last several years in my life. So in 2018, I had my five-year anniversary as a religious services coordinator at the Lincoln Correctional Center. It's a job uh, that here in Nebraska, we we call it the religious coordinator, uh, but in most other states they would refer to it as a chaplain. So I've been a chaplain at a prison, and you know, in all the times I've gotten up here to speak, I haven't really talked very much about my time and my work as a chaplain, and to be completely truthful, mostly that's because I've been a little bit embarrassed uh, by it. Uh, you know, I, I think I started my time as a chaplain, as is very common, I'm sure, kind of naive and idealistic uh, with some pretty grand ambitions and visions uh, for how, how I was going to be used in God's plan to bring transformation um, in the prison. And what I found instead was that the work uh, was tended to be very bureaucratic um, and administrative. It was re- it's really more about managing the details of the religion program um, there. And, you know, as, as a state employee, I'm prohibited from teaching and preaching during our, our Christian events. And, you know, I, I would have some good conversations here and there, but they were rare and intermittent, uh, These some good spiritual conversations with inmates. And I started to really doubt that I would ever really be effective or that I could really be used to bring transformation in the prison. And prison, let me tell you, it can be a dark place. I'm sure that doesn't come as much of a surprise. Uh, Some of you might remember a couple of years ago at LCC, uh, we had a couple of incidents. In fact, we had um, a breakout. A couple of guys escaped uh, from our prison. And then just a couple of months after that, we had a very disturbing and violent incident uh, where nine staff members uh, were violently assaulted um, in the prison um, and, and were out for a, a really long time. And it just kind of felt for a while like instead of, instead of God's kingdom being on the move, it just felt like it was getting darker by the day. And honestly, I came to a point where I was completely giving up and giving up hope that light could ever overcome the darkness 
at LCC. And if you'd have asked me at the time, I th- and if, if I'd been honest with you, um, really what I was looking for at that point more than anything was just a way out. I kind of decided I wanted out of corrections and LCC and chaplaincy and the whole mess. I remember one day getting together for lunch with Aaron Loy, and he asked me, how are things going at LCC? And I told him, man, I would take the first parachute out of there if I could find one. And the really ironic thing about that is all that time that I was there and looking for that parachute out, I was coming here to Mosaic where we talk every week about being on mission. And we talk every week about the transforming and transformative grace of Jesus. And we sing words a lot of weeks like, you make beautiful things out of dust. And sometimes even I would get up here and preach about the transforming grace of Jesus. And I really wish there were a way of telling this story in a way where I turn out to be the hero of it um, in some way. Believe me, I tried. I worked on it um, for a long time. Uh, but, but that's just not the story um, there. Really, my story is a lot closer to Zechariah's story where at some point, God just said to me, okay, you're going to sit and watch and be quiet for a while. And I got to watch and see as the Lord brought some other heroes into LCC. Some people like uh, my, my boss, the, the assistant warden, Sarah, um, at LCC, who uh, is just kind of a fountain of light at LCC. And some folks like a pastor named Bob Holtrup up, up from Omaha. Uh, and John Kaiser, who's a pastor here in Lincoln at the Northern Lighthouse Church. They come in together uh, to practice some of these rhythms, these Jesus-shaped rhythms of grace like we talk about here uh, among the inmates at LCC, sharing tables with inmates, listening, blessing in little ways. And I have just been amazed as I've watched them at the light that they've turned on at LCC, as I've watched the transformation of some of the men at LCC. I want to show you just a quick picture of an event they did Um, if it's something that can be loaded. Uh, This is an event they ran, uh, John and Bob, called Brothers in Blue back in April um, at the prison. Uh, We had four men baptized um, at that event, really just as a result of them building relationships um, with uh, some of the men at LCC. Uh, That thinning head of hair kind of in the front there, that's me um, there. That's me just kind of watching and getting a lesson in what God can do at LCC. And I think for me, the big plot twist of this story is that now I get to be a part in just a small way of what they're doing. After spending years looking for my parachute out of LCC, now I get up grateful almost every morning that I get to go in and be a part of what God's doing at LCC. As I invite the band uh, to come up uh, for our last song and to lead us into a time of communion, I suspect that, like me and like Zechariah, most of us imagine that we know our whole stories, that we imagine that we know what's really possible and what's really not in our lives. And even some of those things that we long to see changed and transformed and fulfilled, we've started to give up hope that that's possible. And my invitation to you this morning is is a very simple one. Don't give up hope 
nurse it, nurture it. Don't let yourself get cynical and hardened to hope. And in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come up uh, and we'll take communion together. And as you take that piece of bread and dip it uh, into the cup and partake of it, take it remembering Jesus who saw us and didn't give up hope that he could be in a relationship with people like us. He didn't give up hope that even people like us could be a part of what he wants to do in the world. I invite you to come and take the bread and the cup as a reminder to yourself to hold on to hope. Lord Jesus, we hate disruption. It's the worst. Hope is disruptive to our lives. Hope asks us to love difficult people. Hope asks us to do difficult things. Yet we believe that our stories are not done being told. Lord, shake up our stories. Bring transformation into the parts of our lives that we think are set in stone. As we celebrate this Advent, how your kingdom continues to break into the world and into our lives, we ask that you would help us to lean in to the disruption that it brings with it, to walk into the more beautiful story that you bring. In your name we pray, amen.